It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to another episode of STT Rewind with me, your host and co-editor of SetTheTape.com, Owen Hughes. I'm joined as ever by Set The Tape writer Steve Norman as we run through the worlds of film, TV, music and games. In part one, we look at the film noir genre as Spooktober turns into Noirvember on the website. Part two turns to TV and specifically the kinds of kids shows that we'd love to see get a quote-unquote dark reboot a la Sabrina. Matt Lather returns for his latest edition of cassette tape for some music news before the last 10 minutes of the podcast tries to wean steve off of football manager now let's get on with the show Kicking off the podcast this week with a new month and a new theme, November. It's a concept that uh, my co-editor in crime, Tony, has come up with. And much like Spooktober, that saw us plucking out a range of horror movies in the build-up to Halloween. Um, although I was thinking the other day, actually, that it probably should have been Shocktober rather than Spooktober. I think that's got a more natural rhythm to it. But I'm sure Toadie's got his reasons for choosing the name Spooktober. Uh, November will be similar, but obviously focusing on film noir instead of horror. The goes for classics of the genre, got the killers, double indemnity, uh, all the way through to sort of postmodern and contemporary noir like Mulholland Drive, Fargo, that sort of thing. Now, Steve, film noir. I don't want to put you on the spot so much but do you watch many film noir is it a genre that you well, visit often i mean for for people who don't know really what it is maybe you should explain to them what it is i mean i know perfectly exactly what you're on about but maybe some maybe some listeners don't <laughs> okay so for, so uh, um film noir it developed in the primarily sort of as we know film noir to be it came about maybe the late 30s very late 30s early 1940s um and it kind of spurned out of this idea of kind of pulpy detective um thrillers but also on top of that there's this whole uh subtext to film noir which is about mainly the femme fatale so you, most people have probably heard of the femme fatale character um which came about when um, 
the genre was kind of revised and explored and studied. Uh, and one thing that was picked up on was the femme fatale character is a woman who seemed to be somehow um, threatening, corrupting of the males in the, the film. Now, that could, in, in most cases, it's, oh, the woman is the killer. Oh, the woman's the one who's arranged for this murder. Oh, the woman is the evil big bad behind everything. Um, but if you if you were to study the film noir genre, what it basically means is, and if you think about when it was re- uh, sort of came about, as I say, late 30s, early 1940s, mid-1940s, um, it, was poss- it was most likely because you had uh, returning soldiers from the Second World War. And when they kept, you know, whilst they were at the, for, out fighting in the war, what was happening back home was um, women had to fulfill the roles that men were previously doing in society. And suddenly women were more independent than perhaps they had ever been um, in sort of American society. And they had more freedom and more roles. So when the men came back to, you know, return to those roles you know return to being the the breadwinner return to being the the sole bearer of the household um but the women all all had jobs women were working in factories what is what was going on it was seen as somehow emasculating and um it was seen to be that men's role within society was slowly being corroded and so the film the film genre kind of picks up on that Film noir developed as a way of saying um, these women have taken some of what makes men men, if you like. And so uh, that's basically what film noir is. And so there's all kinds of stylings, motifs that are associated with film noir. You see it a lot in things like The Killers, where you've got like it's in most films, Double Indemnity, as well, as I mentioned, where you've got lots of um, motifs of things like uh, blinds in uh, or or just bars between railings or you see lots of men through those kind of mode like the, the shade of a, 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 a you know a window blind is across a man's face it's meant to sort of suggest in theory it's meant to suggest that um men are somehow captured in this men are imprisoned and what's imprisoning them is the independent woman or the femme fatale so it's quite a very layered, deep, complex genre in a way that produces a lot. And I mean a lot, probably not quite as many as the Western genre, but it produces a lot of pulpy trash. And so <laughs> film students love film noir because it's, you know, it's text heavy. You can analyse lots in it. Um, personally, I'm not a massive fan of film noirs. And uh, I like stuff like The Killers. I like, you know, postmodern um, film noir. You could say something like Blade Runner is a film noir. If you think it's got all the co- this context there, it's not necessarily about the femme fatale who's corrupting man as a gender, but it's corrupting mankind because uh, mm. the robots are uh, becoming more human and therefore it's re- all that kind of stuff. So there's, like I say, there's lots of rich subtext to film noir. Um so we'll be covering all, hopefully we'll be covering all that sort of stuff mm. as our reviews come out through the month. But I just so, wondered whether it's anything that you've ever watched or anything you've ever really well, thought it's, about. It's strange because when well, I suppose when I think of film noir, I think I, I think directly or straight away of like 
older films yeah. um, and like a private investigator who mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in his office who's visited by this femme fatale yes like that's so, how that's how all film noir starts yeah she Some had to like come to me in invest- this town in this this place yeah. this time that sort of thing yeah yeah and yeah um but then sort of if you're looking through a list now of i suppose it's neo-noir because that's what the list says on wikipedia <laughs> um yeah. but you know sort of film noir but released after like the the, the or from the 60s onwards yeah. there's such like a range of films that it's claiming in it so you've got like american psycho but also batman begins yeah yeah so it's, it's like how you know how do all these films of so many different types or seemingly different genres class as film noir so it's quite a kind of confusing um it's diverse for sure yeah yeah and i think that part of it is um it's very influential on filmmakers um, so they might study something like the Black Dahlia and think, oh, OK, there are things in this stylistically and thematically that I quite like and want to incorporate into my films. And I think it's part part. The, it's not necessarily a problem um, because some people can make that sort of genre uh, have a kind of postmodern twist and they can do something with it. I think a lot of the time, and it was very much true of even sort of the 30s and 40s, where they would say, oh, like, I quite like how this is narrated by a detective mm. and therefore I'm going to include that into my, uh, my film and not really have the groundwork for what that means. Um, and studios can be as much to blame for this as, as anything else. Lots of film noir have terrible endings because in theory, they shouldn't have like a happy ending. But there was a lot of studio influence at the time that meant um, they had to tack on a separate ending that made everything wrap up nice and neat because people, uh, uh, you know, the perception was at the time the audience wouldn't, rate like a film pay money to go and see a film unless they knew it had a good ending a happy ending yeah and it was a bit of um so like again i'm going to go back to the killers because it's you know it's it's one of those that i know quite a bit about um the ending to that the original ending was shot by someone else wasn't shot by the director the director the writer had nothing to do with that that was the studio saying we need to make this ending happier and neater and tidier and we need to explain what happened and why it happened and everything was all right in the end kind of thing so the the, the film noir genre suffers for for things like that uh, and you know if you if you think about if you, you do you know the theory of like confirmation bias where someone says something and the more it's said the more it's accepted as being okay is that something yeah yeah so like the, the that kind of happened with film noir like the more it was done, the more it was accepted as this is how film noir should be, should have a happy ending because that film I really like and I've taken a lot of influence yeah. has the happy. And so, and then everyone becomes like, um, that, you know, that is the principal model. That is what we should follow. Whereas, you know, I think possibly some film noir that I've seen could have stood to be a bit braver, um, yeah. which is obviously much harder to do in 1940s America than perhaps it's, it is to do in, you know, 2008 Batman films. But 
That's by the by, yeah. really. Um, but I, think, I think you could say to me, what's your favourite film noir? And I could look at these lists yeah. and I could say, I could pick films from it, but I wouldn't pick them because until I read this list, I wouldn't have known they're film noir. Yeah, it, it, like I say, it's very broad now. And I, one of the things that I worry about with film noir is that um, much as... Well, I, I say worry about it. It's not like I'm up at night thinking about it. But one of the things that occurs to me is something like The Nice Guys, like Shane mm. Black and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, very heavily influenced by noir, but stylistically so, I think, as opposed to um, thematically. You know, something that... They don't really, Shane Black's films don't really deal with the whole idea of men um, being emasculated in some way yeah. and superseded by another gen, another gender. Um, what Shane Black's films do sometimes is incorporate how, you know, women can and men can be on the same level and people of different ages can work together, people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, etc., which is a little bit noir, but it also is kind of the opposite and so i think post postmodern twists on the genre are fine but i think when people think of film noir it's very hard to think what actually is film noir because like you've pointed out there's so many different types of film yeah. that, that come under that because they have the look of a film noir or the feel of a film noir whereas is i mean is that all you need to be a film noir do you just need to look like a film noir and therefore Click your fingers, you are film noir. Is genre yeah. too restrictive anyway? Should it be more free? I don't, you know, all these kind of um, pretentious theories <laughs> could be could be hurled about. But um, yeah, so Noir Vember uh, will be covered on Set the Tape this week. So I am, or this month, I should say. So I'm gonna I'm gonna point people in the direction of that. So those much more intelligent and versed in the genre and can answer some of the questions that I'm just throwing into the ether uh, can, yeah. can deal with uh, uh, in those articles there. In part two, we're going down a trip down memory lane. If you two are also a 30-something old fogey, like you and you and me, Steve, that's what we are now, 30-something old fogies. Um, yeah. I'm still technically a millennial, so... Yeah, you're on the cusp like me, I know. Um, so, like us, though, uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch uh, was part of our... I mean, it was part of my childhood. Was it part of your childhood? Did you watch Nickelodeon? Yes, yep. yeah. So, I mean, Sab unlike Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I've not had a dark and gritty reboot yet. Well, <laughs> yes, that is why um, I mention it, because a dark reboot, um, as it's being dubbed in some places... Uh, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina um, has been made by Netflix. It's a Netflix original. It landed uh, on, on the streaming service at the weekend. It's 10 episodes or about an hour in length each, and it's rated 15. Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, rated 15. Now, obviously, it's not a direct remake of the Melissa Joan Hart series, uh, but it's an adaptation of the original Archie comics. Uh, like Riverdale, for example, which is also on Netflix. But it got me and Matt Latham thinking about dark reboots, to, to keep using that term, dark reboots of kids' shows. And is this a good idea? What would a dark reboot 
of something else that we probably watched as kids, Steve. What would a dark reboot of Keenan and Kel look like? What would a dark reboot of Clarissa Explains It All or Sister Sister um, or, you know, The Adventures of Pete and Pete and Round the Twist and all those kind of things. What would that actually look like? I don't Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a strange one because I suppose this isn't really a dark reboot. Uh, the, the Melissa Joan Hart series was a light-hearted adaptation of the comics. So this sure. is just a adaptation of the comic yeah exactly but, i mean it's, a, it's but, that a bit does, of a... but that doesn't help this section of the podcast so <laughs> no um, have you have you seen any of it i've not managed to see any of it yet yes so i watched the first episode and i was intrigued i thought it, it was quite an interesting pilot episode it um avoided some of the traps that i thought it might fall into one of the things i was worried about was that because they've got this 15 rating and it's a so so-called dark reboot that it would or dark adaptation let's call it that instead uh that i thought it would try and sex it up a bit which i thought would be a bit inappropriate considering they're still technically school kids you know yeah. which it doesn't do thankfully um it has a boyfriend girlfriend plot to it but it's not a sort of it's the, the there's no seediness to it which mm. is good yeah because um, i mean when i when i heard about it and i haven't seen any of riverdale as well but just sort of from what i know of riverdale which is pretty limited yeah i thought it was going to be more like a 12 um and it wasn't going to be that dark and it was going to be quite aimed at teens yeah sure but but it doesn't seem like that's the case from what i've heard about it already yeah i mean i like, think I, it's... I, I suppose it will be trying to get teens to watch but it's sure. not like a um, I can't think of a, a good parallel, but so a show that is just aimed at sort of like, I don't know, like a, a Hollyoaks of witches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, you think something like Charmed, maybe? I thought perhaps it'd be a similar sort of level yeah. as, as Charmed or uh, Supernatural, which uh, Helen Balls is covering over on Set the Tape at the moment, the new series of that. I thought it'd be along that kind of line of yeah. um maturity it's it is a level above that i think it's treating its audience as intelligent which i didn't mm. necessarily think charmed always did um which we'll see what happens when that gets its reboot or continuation mm. or whatever it's getting um but you know i I've saw, watched, I saw a, yeah i've watched As... a couple more episodes of sabrina and they, they didn't hold my interest as much and um, perhaps the most exciting thing so far for me was seeing Jeff from Coupling turn up as like a dark priest type character, which yeah. is quite interesting. But um, yeah, it, it's got legs to it. I'm not, I'm not sure how much further they can go in terms of pushing the envelope. I think they've pushed it as much as they can and they, they've kind of found their feet and they've settled... Um, but I'm not in a, a massive rush to yeah. complete the series just yet. Yeah, I suppose just a case of, of when thinking about a re, you know what what shows could have a dark reboot um, or adaptation, mm. and it's ones that don't. I suppose ones, that, yeah, like Keenan and Kel, you couldn't really. I mean, how no. could you? It was a comedy it, sketch yeah. show, really, wasn't it, Simon? Yeah, yeah. I think what Matt Latham's trying to do at the moment is put together a list of of some of these things and some sort of silly ideas, I suppose, or or you know potentially very 
clever ideas, not to disparage what <laughs> uh, Matt Latham's doing, but, you know, something that he mentioned um, in our sort of private private chat group was uh, he brought up, uh, are you afraid of the dark? Which could, you know, that could possibly yeah. work. You know, if you think how something like the house with the clock in its walls or um, Goosebumps, you know, those films yeah. are working. That they, so I'm trying aim- to think... Uh- is uh, what I'm trying to think back to Are You Afraid of the Dark now? And were any because it was like three stories a week, wasn't it? Or three in an episode, it was like three, or was it just one? No, I think it was, I, I think my, it was just one. They just sort of had a were, campfire, but, told a but, ghost but story, like, yeah. yeah. But like for like a 10, 11, 12 year old watching it, were they scary? And then can you ramp that up if you want to appeal it to a you know, same premise, but for a more mature audience or even go even darker you could probably ramp it up a fair bit yeah definitely i think there's there's something like kids not all kids but some kids like seeing scary films because there's a sort of taboo about it right there's like i I used to like it i know my niece who's like uh, six years old she likes sort of nightmare on um nightmare on elm street christ uh, nightmare at christmas she likes yeah (laughs) she hasn't watched nightmare on elm street yet christ um it's it's strange how the human mind in in some ways likes being scared yeah there's so this is going to sound like as pretentious as I sounded in part one of this podcast. I have been on a BBC Radio 4 programme to talk about emotions. That's as, that is the most pretentious. That's the cusp of pretentiousness, right? Um, it's It's up there. And one of the things that I said when I was asked about emotions was like everyone else in this group that I was with was like... Um, so six or seven of us were asked by this expert about uh, emotions that we avoid. And lots of them were saying things like they don't like being scared. They avoid anything that's going to make them feel anxious. It's going to stress them out. And I said, well, you know, I put, I seek out that, that emotion in films. I look to horror films because it's a safe environment to feel that emotion, you know, to feel scared and chilled and stuff. You know, it's different if yeah. you're driving a car and you feel scared to sitting in your living room watching a axe murderer chop up someone. You know, there's, those are different kind of emotions, I think. But there's, there is something about that adrenaline rush, if you like, or a kind of release of endorphins that, oh, it's okay, everything's fine. I'm not actually the person who's just been stabbed in the back by some man in a hockey mask. You know, there's a, there, there is some something to be said for that feeling i think when when i was a kid as well there, w- there was an, a, an acknowledgement i think that the, the, the horror films it's breaking a taboo more than it is experiencing that emotion it's doing yeah. something naughty seeing something you probably shouldn't be doing you know and that's not to say i wasn't i mean i remember well i've been told plenty of times by my parents who laugh at me about it but when i was a kid watching power rangers i literally did the cliche of hiding behind a cushion at power rangers because something scared me. Um, so, so, you know, I'm not saying I'm all oh, look at me, how hard I am. I watched the horror films when I was a kid. But I think there is a thing about, like, I don't know. So I, I think something like um, The House with the Clock in Its Walls, for example. Mm. Eli Roth talks about that film and he said he designed it to scare kids and families, you know, parents who were going. He wanted them equally to, to be scared by it. And I think that something like Are You Afraid of the Dark, if that got a reboot and it was aimed... At, let's say families rather than just children you could yeah. you could make that scary 
and get away with it. And I think there would definitely be an audience for something like that. Well, yeah, in the same way you can make episodes of Doctor Who quite scary, you could make exactly. something like that pretty scary. Yeah. Just because it's, you know, scary is is fairly subjective anyway. But you yeah. don't always have to think something scary is for horror, hardcore horror fans only or, you know, pre-pubescent teens who are going to jump yeah. out of their seat and scream and stuff. Yeah. There is a there is a a comedy that can be found in horror and um an enjoyment and a thrill that you don't necessarily have to avoid. Uh not that this is all me going back to chilling adventures of Sabrina. It's I wouldn't say that's scary. It is a 15. I think it it's a strange one in that you're right, it's probably aimed at people from 13 upwards. But um yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really know where I'm going with this anymore. Again, like the first section just rambled and rambled. But uh, what would you, if you were going to reboot something then, Steve, if you were going to give a dark reboot to something that you watched when you were younger, have you, have you got an idea in mind? What would you pick? Um, a dark reboot of something that I watched when I was younger. Um, Don't say Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a difficult question. I, I just can't think of any that would be appropriate for it or suitable for i can't think of like a a hook for any that would be you know all these shows that are on like nickelodeon and trouble yeah like other than sabrina teenage witch because you're dealing with witches anyway which yeah, you can it's got instantly the supernatural in even, it, isn't it, yeah. even if even if um there wasn't this archie comic that was more dark than than say the melissa joan hart tv show and you just had the melissa joan hart tv show you could quite easily think well, let's just do a reboot of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but we'll make it actually quite dark, <laughs> yeah. really go into the occult side of things and the witchcraft side of things and mm-hmm. all that side of it. And you could do that. But like the other stuff, it's like, well, what What would, you know, what can you get away with? You can't really make a dark, gritty reboot of Hang Time. <laughs> yeah. Like you could do, what about like some some of the stuff that was on C- CBBC or CITV, like... Um... What was the one with the Queen's nose? You know, with the other fifty p coin. Do you remember that one? No. Yes. Yeah, ish. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And a a, a killer was that the one? A killer, the one with the, the two kids who had this this sort of spaceship. I don't remember that no. one. No, you, no, no. I, I'm probably making it up. Or Demon Headmaster, no. I guess. Yeah. There yeah. was there was my parents were aliens. I mean, you could you could make that <laughs> yeah. quite dark. Yeah. I guess you could. Yeah. Yeah. See, we're coming up with all these ideas. What we shouldn't be doing is pitching them on a podcast that's free and open. We should be saving these, um, pitching them to some executives ourselves. Yes. But yeah. But anyway, let's move on. So Matt Latham, who I mentioned, um, is putting together an article on this sort of thing that will have a bit more direction than perhaps what we've had in this section. Um, but it is now time to hand over to uh, Matt Latham for his cassette tape for some music news. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Matthew Latham. This is the Cassette Type podcast. This is the Cassette Type. A big component of the whole listening to music experience is listening to music live. So a band you like says they're playing a gig. It's at a venue. You order tickets and then bam, you go and see them. But what of that middle section? The band needs to contact someone to arrange the gig and this is what we call the promoter. And the promoter's job is to, well, I'll give you a guess, it's not to fix the potholes in the roads around Birmingham. A promoter promotes. I think it was the Sounding Board podcast I was listening to where they were interviewing a promoter based in Oxford and there was a point that he made that stuck with me and that point was about creating an identity and a style of music that people can associate with you and it's something that's always been at the back of my mind whenever I've looked at who is running the gigs that I go to. That point that the guy whose name I can't remember said it rings true. In Birmingham my kind of music appears to be linked to at least two promoters. Birmingham Promoters and This Is Tomorrow. There's a couple of others that litter around all give a brief mention to later. Birmingham Promoters is the one who manages to host a few of the most emerging bands in the cool venues of Brummyland. They also craft in some lovely intimate gigs as well. They've played host to secret sold out peace hometown shows in the Sunflower Lounge to small acoustic shows in the Cuban Embassy. They can flick to chilled out to all out with the tip of a hat. They also like to boost local acts support for most of the time too which is great to see. This is Tomorrow are of a similar vein but they do like to go for the more quirky indie pop to another chilled out vibe. They recently hosted a two day festival of the Hare and Hounds that included bands like Dream Wife, The All Release, Speedy Ortiz and Goat Girl. They've got bands like Heinz coming up with shows from Malcolm Middleton and Kieran Leonard to look forward to. To the untrained ear you might not be able to see the differences between the two but you can see the bands they put on and you know immediately who is promoting the gig. If you've not noticed who puts on the gigs in your local city pay attention. They do a lot of good work and they should be recognised for it. I'd also also like to shout out Sonic Gun and Indie Midlands for the work they do too. It's just that I don't have time to fit you all in to this edition. And speaking of that, it's the end. I've been Matt Latham and this has been The Cassette Type. Finally this week in Free Play, it's a topic I'm sure uh, you're well prepared for, Steve. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure I need to ask this and anybody who's listened to previous episodes can probably guess what your answer is going to be already but as amy walker is compiling some retrospectives on the pokemon games ahead of uh, pokemon let's go pikachu and pokemon let's go eevee coming to the nintendo switch this month uh, and with red dead redemption 2 out now of course have you steve have you ever been addicted to a game series um addicted 
the only one is championship manager and football manager. I've been really into games. Um, yeah. Like, you know, play them. So with, with me for games, other than sort of sports sims like FIFA, I'm not too mm-hmm. bothered about online. Um, like, yeah, if I've got Call of Duty or Star Wars Battlefront, I'll play online. But I'm not that fussed about it. It doesn't really do it for me. Other than, like Again, other than sports sims... I want a game that's got a really good story, like a really in uh, in depth storyline and and world to play. Yeah. And so, like mm-hmm. Grand Theft Auto, especially the the more recent ones, or Final Fantasies, or, and things like that, where you can play um, you know, a massive world to explore and a really in depth storyline. Kind of like I suppose you're interacting in a tv show type thing um mm-hmm. so the first red dead redemption i loved um and i will pick up the second one haven't had chance to just yet but i will get the second one but the only game i've been anywhere near addicted to would be championship manager and latterly football manager when it changed from one to the other um the amount of hours that i've <laughs> sunk into those games are scandalous like just offensive just an absolute drain mm-hmm. on time and it's i just find them not so much now I've, I've i still play them now but not as much as what i used to um because the game has gone so in depth i mean part of what i liked about them was the depth of running the team and managing the team but mm-hmm. now it seems to have gone to the extreme where it takes so long to finish a season, whereas you used to be able to 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 finish a season in like a couple of like yeah a two and a half hour session over like three days running, or in three days you could finish a season. Now it's like a proper investment just to finish a season. But yeah, yeah. I used to be properly addicted to those games, um, but they were fantastic as well. I, it's, there's no end to the challenges that you can have on those games I suppose mm-hmm. is what it is within within football you can you can challenge yourself to pretty much anything um, you know you can you can take over a, a Manchester City straight away buy all the best players in the world straight away and win every competition going or you can pick mm-hmm. a semi-professional team and try and build them into a Manchester City over the course of sort of 10 20 virtual years so why why do you think that let's say people in general get addicted to games what is it about it i mean is it just that it's escapism is it just because it's a time killer i mean is it because the games are so good i mean what what is it it, it's it's i think it's escapism and interactivity if that's actually Mm -hmm. a word which it might not be you feel you feel like you're being rewarded for doing something. Yeah, it's not just Perhaps. it's not just yeah. that. So obviously, you can watch a film or a TV show for escapism, but you're not directly involved. Whereas in a game, it's passive, isn't yeah. it? You're whereas it, whereas in, in a game, yeah. even though in a game the plot is predetermined, you just have to be good enough at the game or set it to a mm-hmm. easy enough difficulty setting. To, to get to get to <laughs> so the, it's almost yeah. like you've looked at my settings yeah. on the PlayStation to, yeah. to get to the next level or get to the next stage or unlock the mm-hmm. next part of the map you are influencing the game with what you do you are controlling the character or characters to make those events happen um, 
you can go and you know in games like Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption you can go away from the storyline and just explore mm-hmm. the world and do different yeah. things and interact so it's it's you doing things it's, it's I think it's the escapism you get with a, a film or a TV show and and but you being able to directly interact with it and influence it that makes them so popular despite what I would say is the ridiculous price of them well i mean is it is it a ridiculous well, price because you think if you boil it down right if you're going to do like are you talking about championship manager how much how much money did that cost you compared to how many hours you put into that is does that make it does that lessen how ex, the the, ex, the the literal literal sort of money expense that's that's been placed yeah i think yeah, I, but i just think 50 quid for a, a computer game is a lot of money it's it is it is a lot of money for what essentially it is but uh, people pay it, so maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I pay it, mm. so maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I did sort of... I have bought Red Dead 2, and I haven't bought FIFA this year, because FIFA, I just say, I can't, I can't waste that much time again. And it mm. is 50 quid. And, you know, 50 quid is a lot of money. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. It is a lot of money. I'm just saying, I think for value for money, I don't think is necessarily the issue. I just think, for, you know, you're right, 50 pounds is a lot of money to spend on something. And I hesitated over Red Dead Two because I thought, can I can I spare fifty quid for that? Um, but I do think that they are potentially value for money, particularly compared to other mediums of this kind of escapism that we're we're talking about. Um, but I think people kind of get addicted to games because they do this thing where you you every sort of on a micro a macro level you're rewarded for doing little things and it feels good doesn't it i mean yeah it's why video game adaptations don't work i was talking to someone at work about this today like that in a game if you're playing tomb raider and you manage to duck behind a boulder in time before you're attacked and then you pop around the corner and you shoot someone and they're dead and you, you first time dead dead headshot brilliant you feel great you think i've mastered this i'm really good at being lara croft watching a tomb raider film and Lara Croft ducks behind a boulder and then sneaks out and shoots someone in the head. You think, this is a bit cliche, this is a bit tedious. You don't get that same sense of um, being rewarded for this. And I think that's partly why things like World of Warcraft um, become so addictive for people. Because if you've, got a sh- if you've got a shitty life, or if you've got a life that, you know... Let's let's be honest. Whose life is as exciting as being a warlock in a magical realm where you mm. kill goblins and stuff? You know, stuff like that. If if that is your form of escapism and that is where you feel good and you build your community of friends of people, and you know, let's let's include things like Call of Duty and all these time sappers. Um, there's some there is something in that I think. Yeah. Where that I can understand why people are addicted to it. Um, because you know, we're talking about Red Dead Two again. You know, I wasted far too much time playing poker. I could play poker any time, but because it's there and it's in the game, and you get a bit of money for it, and you're rewarded for it, and you think, "Yeah, this is quite good. I'm quite good at this." You know, it's just the game. You're being gamed by the game. Yeah. But you know, so yeah, video games. There's actually one thing I want to end on, which is kind of related, I suppose. But you know, like games particularly because we're talking about Rockstar games, but Grand Theft Auto and things, they always get brought up as our kids get addicted to them and then it makes them violent because they're going around 
battering prostitutes with baseball bats and stuff like that in the game. I, I did that life. before I bought Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. So, <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> who influenced who? Chicken and egg scenario, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I've got I've got road rage before I play a computer game, so. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of STT Rewind with me, Owen Hughes, and my co-host, Steve Norman. Joining us in cassette tape was Matt Latham. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe to the podcast in all the usual places, iTunes especially, and please, please, please give us a review. We'll be back with another episode in a fortnight's time, but until then, you can check out all of our daily articles at setthetape.com, including our Noirvember series, which kicked off this week with a recap of Vertigo by Dave Bond, as well as a look back on the most addictive games of all, the Pokemon series by Amy Walker. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.